that tonight is going to be an incredible, a special night. Um, our guest speaker tonight, a lot of you, if you come to church here on Sundays, if Red Rocks is your home, you'll be familiar with him. Um, but for a lot of you who are, are new, you might not know this, but um, a lot of what we have been able to do here has been built on the shoulders of our guest speaker. Um, Doug was one of the original uh, OGs of young adults. And um, man, he served this place back when we officed at a barn full of like snakes and random bears. Um, and then we went to Littleton for a little while and then we came here and sort of made Lakewood our home. Um, and Doug has just been there through it all. And then God called him and his friends and unfortunately this guy named Ethan, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he called this amazing team to go to Austin and carry the heart of Red Rocks Church to an up-and-coming, thriving city with tons of young adults like here in Denver. And so they moved, they followed the call of God, planted this amazing church. And so whenever Doug has the opportunity to be here, man, I want to try to get this guy on stage as much as possible. And here's what I want you to know before I call him up. You're going to hear what I truly believe to be one of the most gifted communicators in the world. And I'm not just blowing smoke. Um, he is phenomenal. But what's even better is you meet this guy off stage, you have a five-minute conversation with him, and you realize he's not just like a gifted, talented speaker. The guy is just amazing. He loves Jesus, loves his family, has a passion to reach people for Jesus and build God's church. And so, man, when I say it's an honor and a privilege to get this guy up on this stage and share his heart with you, it really is. As one of the pastors here, this is like one of my most favorite moments is to get to hand the mic back over to a guy who's put his blood, sweat, and tears into this ministry. And so would you put, a, put your hands together, lose your mind for the one and only Douglas William Weckenman! back. How about a 25-second praise break right now for Jesus Christ as loud as you can. Make some noise for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He shall reign forever and ever and ever. One more. Oh, if your voice doesn't hurt tomorrow, you didn't do it right tonight. Don't sit down yet. You guys feel good? My life has changed in this room on Thursday nights. Uh, and I mean that. This place is so special to me. I am so honored to be here. Andrew, Connor, Alana, Zach, Ethan. Um, I love you guys. Can we make some noise for your fearless leaders? You guys are so good at, at what you do. This is uh, five incredibly talented human beings who honestly could be doing anything they want to be doing. But they're right here building the local church, which just so happens to be God's plan A for reaching the world. And I guess the sermon before the sermon, before you sit down, would be this. I hope you know that you are God's plan A for your friend group. And I hope you know that you are God's plan A for your, your uh, the people that you work with. You are God's plan A for the gym that you work out at. You are God's plan A for your school. You are God's plan A for your roommates. Man, if your job feels like a dark place, if your gym feels like a dark space, if, if the, the apartment complex you live in feels dark, if the city you live in
live in feels dark, I would say this to you. That's why God put you there, to be a light. That's why he's put this ministry here, to be a city on a hill as a lighthouse. As if to say to everybody far from God, come and experience for real though what this loving Father believes about you. And we are the agents of invitation to go and say, come and taste and see how good this God is. Amen. You happy to be alive? Happy to be in the room? So I feel about every room I'm in, quite honest. The title of this talk is a question I have asked for years. I've done my best to answer it, and I'm going to do my best to answer it tonight. And it's this. Why was that tree in the garden? Like, why the heck, God, was that tree in the garden in the first place? So let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you that you know the end from the beginning. Holy Spirit, I feel your presence here right now. And I hope you know how welcomed you are in this building, in the hearts of every person beneath the sound of my voice. We give you permission. This is a bold and dangerous prayer, but we do it because life's short. We give you permission to go straight to those hidden places and spaces of our hearts. Wake us up. Speak to us. We love you. We pray this in the powerful, beautiful, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. Welcome to YA. Give away one wink to somebody you think is cute. And then you may take a seat. Welcome to church. I'll see you soon. Just come up whenever. Why was that tree in the garden? Have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Like Ben Stiller in every movie he's ever starred in. I swear, Meet the Parents is just two hours of Ben Stiller being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, oh, he's up on the roof. I wonder if he's going to accidentally slip at just the wrong time and crash into the gutter, starting a fire that lights the house on fire and destroys the yard. Oh, he did. Okay. Oh, but surely he's not going to flush the wrong toilet at exactly the wrong time, causing the septic tank to overflow on the yard hours before the wedding. Oh, he did. Okay, yeah. I get it. The wrong place at the wrong time. This brings me to fifth grade, obviously. Fifth grade was one of the best years of my entire life because of my teacher. Anybody have a teacher that just, man, just changed your life for the better? Well, that was my fifth grade teacher. We'll call her Miss Peppercorn, and you know why. It's a Sandlot reference. Because Miss Peppercorn was a babe, okay? And that's why fifth grade just changed my life. All of a sudden, school was just the best thing in the world. I got check pluses and stars in all of my subjects. My parents had to be wondering, what is going on? What, like, our son is suddenly thriving in the world of academia until, like, they went to the first parent-teacher conference. And then my dad thought, oh, okay, that's, well, I guess whatever motivates him to do well in school well, on the last day of fifth grade, all the fifth grade classes at Wood Ranch Elementary School in Simi Valley, California, had a kickball tournament on the field behind our school. And guys, this is not about me. This is about God, but I'm good at kickball, okay? I just am. It is what it is. I was really good, especially for my age back then. I don't want to brag. It's just it's an important detail for this story. And it's my final at-bat in fifth grade. And I'm behind the plate, and the, pit, the pitcher is, is winding up, I guess, whatever winding up is for, for kickball, so I guess that. And uh, as he's p 
pitching the kickball, rolling the kickball, I strike up my very first bargain with the big man upstairs. Not even a Christian at this point. But I close my eyes, and in my spirit, I just say, God, here's, here's the deal I got for you, big guy. If I hit a home run right now, if I kick this ball into orbit, then here's the deal. Me and Miss Peppercorn will get married one day. And we will live happily ever after and ride off into the sunset, right? And to me, that just, I mean, that made total sense. Now, I'm slightly older. I see that from a different vantage point now. I kind of see it, I think, from God's perspective a little bit more where he had to be looking down thinking, well, well, first of all, there's nothing in this for me, so that's not technically a bargain. And second of all, you're 10, she's 29. Not only is this creepy, it's illegal. So there's statutory issues at stake here, and I'm a good God, and I'm not an idiot. That's just one of the benefits that comes with being God, I guess along with foreknowledge, and so I know what's about to happen anyways, and so, sure, you entertain me, buddy, whatever. I'll make a deal with you. If you kick a home run, then I will make Miss Peppercorn fall madly in love with you. So here comes the pitch. It's a beautiful pitch. Nice and easy, slightly bouncy, and how many know you can capitalize on that bounce if you're good, and I was good. But once again, it's not about me. So it comes in, and I, um, I run, my final at bat in fifth grade, I run up to the kickball. My foot comes through, timing it perfectly, but the kickball takes one final bounce and hits a rock that is in the wrong place at the wrong time, causing the kickball to veer about 12 inches to the right. My foot and leg come through. My body follows. Objects in motion just tend to stay in motion. And just like Charlie Brown, when Lucy pulls away the football, I do like half a backflip. And I swear to you, time slows down. I'm thinking a few things at the same time. Number one, I'm thinking, this is going to hurt so bad. <laughs> But number two and more important, I swear to you, out of the corner of my eye, I see Miss Peppercorn walking by the kickball field at exactly the wrong time to witness the most embarrassing moment of my life. My soul sings, no, and then bam, I hit my back and my head on the earth. I get knocked out for half a second, the wind knocked out of my lungs, but I'm telling you, nothing. The physical, the physical pain was nothing compared to the emotional agony of just knowing I blew it. With Miss Peppercorn, she saw the whole thing. Kickball skills is all I got to offer her. And now what? And God, I let down your, your plan, your divine plan. What do you do? What do I do? I guess just... Enjoy summer break and go to sixth grade, which is what I did. But in the moment, man, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Miss Peppercorn was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That stupid rock was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But listen to me, tonight you're not. And I tell you that entire story to make that one point right now. That tonight you are not in the wrong place at the right time. It is not a coincidence that you are in this room right now. You understand your God does not do coincidence. Your life is not a mistake. You might have been a surprise to mom and dad, but you were not a surprise to the Holy Trinity. They knew about your existence trillions and trillions of years ago. God did not accidentally make you. Jesus did not accidentally die for you. You are supposed to be in Denver, Colorado as a follower of Jesus in 2021. And so tonight, lean in like it's on purpose, like you actually believe it. And let's worship later like you actually believe this God who knows the end from the beginning is in this room and wants to meet with you tonight.
that tonight you are going to experience what God thinks about you. And I'm here to tell you, he loves you. And I believe he proves that by putting that tree in the garden. I don't know if you've ever wondered, why was that tree there in the first place? Like, God, if you knew Adam and Eve were going to eat the apple, at least I think it was an apple, if you knew they were going to do that and fracture the, the DNA of the whole universe with sin and ruin absolutely everything for absolutely everyone, like, why do that? I mean, is this a, is this a test? Were you trying to trick them? Is this a, a prank gone horribly wrong? I'm like, oh, that's a risky little game. That was a Rachel Green quote, a very subtle one. If you picked up on that, you come see me after, I'll give you a gold star. Why? Why? I want to try to answer that, but I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 12 first. For now, church, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. But now I know in part, just in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known right now so what that means is like staring at the mysteries and complexities of a god whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours through a dimly lit mirror we will do our best to answer this very big question as best as we can but while today we only know in part god's promise for us is one day you and me will know in full exactly why that tree was in the garden. So tonight, I just want to do my best to show you that you are so loved by God and that his way is better than what the world is offering you. That's the case I want to make by showing you God put this tree in the garden. He's offering you something so much better. And I know the room I'm talking to. I know what the world is offering you. I also know you're here tonight because it's not working. It's just not. It works until it doesn't. I almost pray it, 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 do, it stops working sooner than later. So, man, you can, you can turn and taste and see how good this God is. Amen? All right. Here we go. The Lord God, back to Genesis chapter 2. This will be up on the screen, by the way, if you don't have your Bible. Anybody have an actual Bible? Oh, man. You're my people. God doesn't pick favorites. I do. I'm looking at you, Genesis 2, verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. He made some trees just because they look good. That's it. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So pause. The author of Genesis wants us to see this garden as sort of a, a temple where the presence of God dwells. And on a hill in the middle of the garden is the tree of life, the true tree, the good tree, where the presence of God is strongest, sort of a, a holy of holies, if you will. And the invitation is come and eat from this tree. And you will experience eternal life. God beckons Adam and Eve to come and eat from the tree of life. Down that hill, on the way to the tree of life, among all the other trees is another tree. The false tree. Just as beautiful. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll pick it up in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree 
any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. I want you to know it is indicative of the goodness and abundance of your God that he gives permission before he gives restriction. Did you hear that? All of you who thinks he, that, that you, you think he's your cosmic killjoy, your divine party pooper, that you can be a Christian or you can have fun. He gives permission before he gives restriction. I mean, how many trees were there, you guys? Hundreds? Thousands? Hundreds of thousands? Thousands of hundreds? Fun fact, there are more trees on this planet than in our Milky Way galaxy. That's the, the point I'm trying to make. There were a lot of trees, okay? Like, this is not a hard gig for Adam and Eve. Let's recap God's scene that he just set. Adam and Eve, a husband and wife, naked and, and unashamed together in a garden in an all-inclusive paradise with, with two rules. Have a lot of sex and just don't eat from that one tree. Like, this is, this is not that hard. He tips the scales in your direction. I want you to see that. More important, I want you to see... Even in paradise, humans are so easy to convince that they're missing out. You know FOMO? It's that thing we all have that we all just kind of giggle. Yeah, we all, I FOMO. Yeah, I, yes, I, I kind of think FOMO, this, the fear of missing out, the fear that God is holding out on you is a subconscious torture, is a weird version of hell on earth that has you actually never living your life. In the present, because you always think, I got to be somewhere else doing something else. My mind is there. My mind is in the future. My mind is in that city where life happens right here and right now. I mean, how hard is it for all of us just to, hey, can you just enjoy this season? Can you just enjoy this job? Can you just enjoy living in this city? Can you just enjoy the people around you in this room right now? It is so hard. Why? Because you know of that tree somewhere else because the serpent i mean you know the story the serpent comes in and he asks eve a very eerily familiar question did god really say i mean he's holding out on you and i just i love you i'd hate for you to to miss out on all of this and when the woman saw this is genesis 3 the worst chapter in the entire bible when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and the food and pleasing to the eye, good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her knucklehead husband, I added knucklehead, who by the way was with her the entire time, but that's another sermon for another day. And he ate it as well. Now you're going to laugh at this, but you probably have always thought this, just like I always thought this up until just very recently. I don't think it was a magical tree. You ever think about that? I don't think it was a, like a magic apple. I think it was just a pretty tree that had fruit that was, that was pleasing to the eye. The power is not in a magic tree. The power is in a decision to pick something else over God. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves so like i said one day we'll know in full today we know in part but today tonight like staring at the mystery and complexity of the god of the universe through a dimly lit mirror let's answer that question why the heck was this tree in the garden in the first place i want to give you three answers and i want to show you why that means he loves you sound good 
Here are my three answers. Why the heck was that tree in the garden? Number one, here we go. To show us from the very beginning that obedience leads to joy. Once again, I know the room I'm in, obedience, that's a Christian cuss word. A lot of you heard, beep. You're going to hear that every time I say obedience. You got it. Obedience leads to joy. I want to show you this. So at the risk of sounding like a loser, my friend George texted me a math problem recently. Here's the math problem. I want you, don't yell this out yet, all you mind students, don't yell this out yet. I want you to compute this in your own fantastical brain. I'm going to give you five more seconds. Compute this math problem. I hear the gears turning. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to count to three. And on three, you yell out the answer. Does anybody need more time? If you do, say, hold up. Okay, I'll hold up. Ten more seconds. <laughs> I'm a man of my word. Okay. Ready or not, here we go. On the count of three, you yell at your answer. One, two, three. Yeah, we are, we are united on no number. Math just caused a lot of division in this room. Oh, man. That's not... Wow. And that's not even the point. I heard 10 different answers. I'm about to give you the right answer. Are you ready? Eight. If you said eight. But who knows why? Who knows why? Because of PEMDAS. Of PEMDAS. And no, that's not a cuss word. Like, I wouldn't say, Ethan, stop being such a PEMDAS. That's not, no, that's, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't cuss in church. That's not a cuss word. PEMDAS is, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Okay, it's the order of operations, and it means in math that we do some functions like division and multiplication before we do other functions like addition and subtraction. All right, by the way, if you got this wrong, it probably just means you were cool in high school, okay? So don't worry. <laughs> Why are we doing math in church? Get back to the word of God, pastor. I'm as mad as you. I hate this, but we have to do it. All right, calm down. <laughs> okay, the reason is because math and Christianity are very, very similar. And what I mean is the order matters in both of them. So in Christianity, as soon as you put rules in front of relationship, you miss the heart of God. You got the order wrong. As soon as you put obedience, beep, there's our word, in front of acceptance, you no longer have Christianity. After all, this is not a religion. It is a relationship. And by the way, that's why we mean it when, you say, when we say that you can belong here before you believe what we believe. In Christianity, you do not obey in order to be accepted. You do not get all your stuff together and then come to Jesus. You simply just realize how loved you already are, how accepted you already are. Then you let God transform you, and then obedience flows from that. The starting point, always, only Jesus. Come experience Jesus. Acceptance, then obedience. So with the order right, 
obedience all comes down to this question. How much joy do you really want right now in your life? There's a C.S. Lewis quote. It's my favorite quote. I quote it all the time. The C.S. Lewis quote says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us over here. Like ignorant little kids content just to, to make mud pies in a slum because we just can't fathom what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. The reason you maybe roll your eyes at this idea of holiness as if it's for God and not for you, the reason you maybe don't take obedience seriously, I'll, I'll, I'll submit this to you, is because you don't actually want joy and life bad enough. That tree was in the garden to show us from the very beginning that obedience leads to joy. So picture Adam and Eve at the tree. So with God, here's what I want you to hear. It, like with obedience, it's not obedience just for the sake of obedience, you guys. Just because I said so. It's not don't eat from that tree just because I, I said so and I'm a controlling God who wants you to do what I want to do. But rather, it's obedience for the sake of joy. There were thousands, millions of other trees, by the way, including the tree of life that was up on the hill in the middle of the garden, standing there and beckoning to them like that holiday at sea, like infinite joy being offered to them. But humans, even in paradise, are so easy to convince that God is holding out on us. In Proverbs, the tree of life is, is likened to wisdom. This is Proverbs 1, out in the open. So picture that tree of life up on the hill, okay? Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud, pleading with people, saying, come to me, trust me, I am for you, even more for you than you are for you. She raises her voice in a public square like pleading with us. On top of a wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. But then you fast forward 10 verses. But since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the what? The fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Obedience, simply put, is just wisdom put into practice. So maybe you grew up in a church or maybe in a family where you were told, God doesn't want you to be happy, God wants you to be holy. As if those two things are not intertwined with each other. Like Jesus' favorite song is, if you're happy and you know it, repent! <laughs> Obey! Why? Because I said so. Maybe that's why you hate the church or think God wants to take from you. This is such a common story. Maybe that's why you think, oh, I can either be a Christian or be happy. This is so much of our city. Your city, Denver, my city, Austin. My goodness, these two cities, you guys, this is, these are epicenters of hundreds of thousands of young adults who thought they tried Jesus but only tried religion. They flock here looking for the very thing they're running away from. By the way, that's why we are the plan A, a lighthouse on a hill. Just get them in here, man. There's room for more. God is more about your joy than even you are. Joy is the point of obedience, you guys, but sin is deceptive. And our world right now is seductively whispering, much like that serpent, hey, be true to yourself. And if you feel it, that means it's true. My goodness, that is horrifying. That's what we're being told, that if you feel it, well, then that's true. 
what used to be true, I mean, this is always true. It's just no longer acknowledged as much. Truth used to be sort of this north star, this thing outside of you, whether it was God or honor or dying for your nation. And it was always true. And then you had the option to conform to that or not. But what we're being taught is truth is all just subjective is found inside of you, then you make the rest of the world conform to that. If you feel it, well, that has to be true. And if you ignore it, you're not being true to yourself. My goodness, this is, if you think about it, if you let it play out, how scary that is. The reason we have police is to keep everybody from doing exactly what they feel, exactly when they feel it. Don't, don't follow your feelings, follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Question your heart, young adult. Jeremiah said the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? The answer, not me, not you, the one who made it. Question your feelings. Lead your heart to Jesus. He is grace and truth. And truth, by the way, is not this oppressive thing. Truth, picture it like a North Star that cares about you finding your way. When you feel like a, a boat in the ocean at night in a storm that has no idea what's right and what's left, what do I do? Truth, like the tree of life, like wisdom in the streets beckoning you. This is God saying, I want this for you so bad. Like, how bad do you want joy in this life? That's what we keep coming back to because the answer to that question will be revealed in your life through your obedience to God or lack thereof sin will promise happiness it will then take you further than you wanted to go cost you more than you wanted to pay and make you pay make you stay longer than you wanted to stay and ironically the price you pay more often than not is happiness the tree always promises to give and always ends up taking and by the way every testimony video I've ever seen is proof of that right there and I want you to hear my heart like I love the testimony story I, this is my story where I knew, I knew God loved me, but much like the prodigal son, I kind of, I turned my back on this tree, and I, I felt like God was maybe holding out on me, and I, like, whatever you, like, fill in the blank over here. We all have our own story, and found myself just rock bottom, and man, I, I messed up, and, and then Jesus came and got me. And Jesus pulled me out of that, and I ran home, and the father was on the porch just scanning the horizon, waiting for me, and threw a party when I came. And that's so many stories in this room. I love that testimony. All I'm saying is, man, I am in the mood to start seeing some testimony videos of people who say, I, I guess I just kind of took God for, I, at his word. I just, man, I just kind of tried to do it his way. Because I thought, well, this is, this is wisdom. This is the tree of life. And, and I cannot tell you the joy and the peace that I walk in. Because, like I, want, I want my kids to grow up watching those videos. I want you guys to be in those videos. That's my heart. Like, I, like we need more examples of what to do in the church is what I'm saying. Like contrary to popular belief, you don't always have to learn all of life's brutally hard lessons the hard way. Not all rules are meant to be broken. Not all limits are meant to be tested. The truth, the true tree is beckoning you. This is where life is. The question just all comes back to how bad do you want it? Why was that tree in the garden? To show us from the very beginning, obedience leads to joy. Amen? We got to keep going. Number two, 
Why was that tree in the garden? Because your soul wants to hear the word now. I love this. So let's just get one thing straight. God is good and complete without you and me. He doesn't need you. He has nothing to gain, therefore, by oppressing you. And if that's true, then the restrictions he gives you must be meant to liberate and not oppress. So my friend Brian has two teenage daughters, and he has this rule in his car when he drives them and their friends, uh, no phones. Isn't that crazy? So he picks them up from school, and everybody has to put their phone in the glove compartment, and then catch this, he asks them questions. I talked to one of his daughters recently, and she said, yeah, none of my friends will admit it. They all just kind of roll their eyes like, oh, Mr. Brian, you're so lame. OMG, give me my phone back, right? <laughs> They'll never admit it, but they secretly love it because their parents just prefer they, they scroll on Instagram and, and not talk. There's a reason everybody wants to drive home in Mr. Brian's car. Catch this. His phone restriction makes them feel loved, seen, and protected. Keep following me. When you trust the source, restrictions make your soul feel safe. Okay? I remember late nights driving home from Keystone, from snowboarding on I-70. When the roads are icy, guardrails make you feel protected and directed like somebody's watching out for me. So I'm a yes man, I'm a yes dad, I love saying yes, but I just know as a dad now, there's so many times I'm going to just have to say no to my kids, and the answer is just really clear cut. But there's also going to be a lot of times where I have to say no, and it's more of a gray area and not that clear, but the reason I have to say no is because I know it's good for their little souls to hear it, or else they become that kid, and then they grow up to be that young adult, where the creator of the universe is not going to tell me nothing about how to, how to live my life, right? Even before humans were fallen, I'm talking Genesis 2, restriction was a thing. Did you catch that? It teaches your soul that you don't need everything, that I can go without one tree. Restraint teaches your soul your personal happiness is not the world's or God's primary objective. That saying no to yourself when you could say yes might just be the ultimate sign of Christian and human maturity. Especially, by the way, when you don't understand why. Here's a Judah Smith quote. That's the challenge, self-imposed restraint. That is maturity in a nutshell. It's when you have the money, you have the desire, you have the opportunity, and yet you still say, nope. Why was that tree in the garden? Because your soul wants to hear the word no sometimes. I would bet you, if you got still long enough to listen, your soul's like begging you, say no to me. There's liberation that comes from saying no to that thing you could buy, from not eating that dessert you could eat, right? There's a thriving freedom that comes from saying no to that temptation, even though you really want to do it, even though, like, let's be real and have real talk, God's going to forgive you if you do that, <laughs> But you still say no. I mean, the, the holy empowerment that comes over your soul as it levels up and steps into more authority and freedom. Your soul wants to hear the word no. God gives you direction and protection through restriction. Why? Because he's good, man. And when the source is good, you can trust the guardrails. 
And if you need proof that God is good, I want to show you the response that God has to Adam and Eve's decision to eat the apple. He clothes them, removes them from the garden, and then Genesis 3.24, after he drove the man out, this is going to sound so intense at first. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. So that sounds so intense at the surface level at first glance. But I want to show you this is actually grace. It's actually grace what God did, bringing Adam and Eve out of the garden and then guarding the way back was actually grace. Because first of all, he doesn't kill them, even though he says, if you eat from that tree, you will die. He doesn't kill them. But also, the tree of life gave mankind the ability to live forever. And God now realizes if Adam and Eve make their way to the tree of life and eat from it, they'll live forever, only they'll live forever in a fallen state. So I've got some problem solving to do. So I'm going to bring them out of the garden to protect them from that. So the next time humanity eats from the tree of life, it will be on top of a different hill called Calvary at a different tree of life. And humanity will now live forever with me, but redeemed and not fallen. This is not judgment. This is not punishment. This is God's mercy. Why was there a fruit tree? Because he is good and your soul craves hearing the word no. Amen? Okay, last but not least, number three, Van, you can come up. Because love is only love when it's a decision. For love to exist, choice must exist. Follow me here. Because love requires choice. Forced love is called what? It's called abuse. God is not abusive. In order for God to love, or in order for you to love God, you must have the opportunity not to. For free will to be possible, your will needs the ability to choose, but it also needs options to choose from. Hence the tree. In the end, it must be your decision. C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who, who, who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. It's been said in the beginning, God the creator basically had four options. So if you're making your own universe, you got four options and there's only four. Number one, create nothing. Number two, create a world with no such thing as good or evil. Number three, create a world where it's only possible to choose good. Or number four, create this world where each of us have a choice of good or evil, and this option is the only one where love is possible. Now remember, God has tilted, like massively tilted, the scales in our direction almost entirely. The tree of life, not hard to get to. He wants you to pick him, but at the end of the day, the final yes or the final no has to come from you because you can't force love by definition. You remember the movie Aladdin? The genie said to Aladdin, I'll give you, I'll give you three wishes. But there's a few caveats. There's three things I can't do. I can't kill anybody. I can't bring people back from the dead. And I can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. Now, really quick, the first two. He can't kill anybody. He can't bring anybody back from the dead. Why couldn't the genie in that movie do that? Because it's a Disney movie. He's a genie. You don't think that fool could kill somebody? Okay, it's just, it's not going to happen because it's a Disney movie. But the third option is, in fact, impossible. 
You cannot force somebody to fall in love. A magic genie can't bring love into the world any more than a magic apple can bring evil into the world. Any more than God could force Miss Peppercorn to fall madly in love with me. Not even God could do that. Not because of our logic, but because of heaven's standards. The power behind all of those things is found in the decision. A world without choice would be a lot more ordered. A world without choice would have a lot less evil, a lot less suffering, a lot less tears. But it would, by definition, also be loveless. Why was that true in the garden? Because love requires a decision. But if you're anything like me, here's what I've wrestled with for years. I think, yeah, but God, it's, oh, it's so risky, though. <laughs> That's a risky little game, God. <laughs> I mean, look at all the, the horrible things that free will has led to. Look at all the evil in this world, all the injustice, all the even death itself, all the tears, all the pain, all the mourning. Like, it's just, I mean, can we just be honest? There's a lot of stuff God does that I just, I wouldn't do if I were him. Honestly, between you guys and me, I don't think I would have put that tree in the garden. But I also would not give my son for you. Not on his worst day, not on your best day. I thought recently maybe the better question is, God, why did you put that tree on top of Calvary? I mean, you want to talk about injustice. For whatever reason, for this God who knows the end from the beginning, for this God, love is worth the risk. Eternal good is worth the temporary bad. And you are worth his pain. Right now we see in part, but one day we will see to show us from the very beginning obedience leads to joy to show us that your soul wants to hear the word no and because love is only possible where there is choice why was that tree there I don't know that's the best I got his ways you guys his thoughts are higher than ours in fact Isaiah 55 would say his ways and thoughts are higher than our like as high as the heavens are above the earth that's how much higher God thinks than our logic, okay? And our ability to explain the complexities of him. I read an author once who said, if he's really God, if he really is creator and made us and we are creation, then this God by definition would have to be so other, so far beyond and outside of us that we would not be able to fully understand the totalities and complexity of him any more than the pancakes I made for breakfast this morning understand the totalities and complexities of me. But look right at me. You want it that way. You want him that far removed. You can't worship a God who always makes sense to you. You guys, you want him big. You want to feel small, not insignificant but small, and that's not to minimize what you're going through, oh no, that's to maximize your God. You want him at all costs, as maximized in your life as possible. But God wants you close, and questions like this cause us to wrestle with him. I have a two-year-old, he loves to wrestle with me all the time, so we'll wrestle on the living room floor, and guys, I, I got him. Like, I can take him, okay? I got this fight. But we'll wrestle, and I'll let him kind of take me. 
until the very end, we get to my favorite part where he's exhausted. I pretend to be exhausted. I'm, I'm lying on my back on, my, on the carpet, and he's, he's lying on top of me, just his head on my chest, just completely resting in a complete state of trust, even though he lost. Man, he feels protection because he knows his dad's good. God wants you to be close to him more than he wants you to know all the answers. Your pursuit of the answers is what's going to change you and grow you more than actually getting all the answers will or ever could. That's why the process of prayer will grow you more than having your prayers answered ever could. The process, the pursuit, the proximity is actually the point because that is the space where you find out how good your God is. And when you know that he's good, you trust his restrictions and his direction. You trust the tree of life up on the hill beckoning you and pleading you to come taste and see. I know that's tempting. I know it sounds good, but I'm telling you this is better. I'm not trying to rob from you. I've got, I've got so much more. Please come and try to understand. Let me show you exactly what I mean by a holiday at sea. You guys, we have a good God, or else Jesus would not have gone to the cross. He would not have left his throne in paradise, the ultimate humility, put on flesh and bone, come to this planet and lived a perfect life. The only dude who ever deserved not to be judged or ridiculed or punished or like for anything ever. And yet this God voluntarily walks willingly straight into handcuffs and lets the Roman officers arrest him and flog him and make fun of him and speed us, like spit at him and beat him and strip his clothes naked and then throw him down on top of a, of a tree of a piece of wood and then nail his wrists and his ankles to this cross and while he does that he starts praying for the very people who are crucifying him and they lift him up on top of this hill called calvary thousands of years after the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of good and evil as the real tree of life who proved i mean guys he's like only a good god does that this, um, oh, can you picture him up there, man? The same God who right now has millions of angels face down on the floor in his throne room, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, took the lowest of the low positions that a human being can take as the only one who was ever perfect, so that you and me actually could have access to eternity with him in heaven forever one day regardless of how many times you leave and how many times you walk away he's always going to be scanning the horizons waiting for you to come back and he says let me just give you my perfection and my holiness and my spotless and undefeated record and let me take from you every regret you'll ever have Every sin, past, present, and future, every weight that's just weighing you down. Guys, will you, will you bow your heads, close your eyes right now? I want to just feel like there's a few people in this room that tonight's your night. Today is the day of salvation. Life is short. Not promised YA next Thursday. Your calling is too critical. Life is too short to, to keep settling. This is free, and in case you're waiting for the catch, there's not one. He just wants to give you life to the full. 
and heaven forever simply by you just saying, yes, God, I'll Jesus, I'll take you as my Savior. I'll take you as my Lord. I'll turn to the tree of life. And if that's you in here and you just want to make that decision right now, I'm going to ask you, just be bold. Raise your hand right now. Raise it high. Raise it proud. Oh, my gosh. Let's go. Amen. Amen. If you want to make this decision, right now is your moment. Heaven is getting more crowded as we speak. The creator of the universe is beckoning, not religion, but a relationship with you. Red Rocks Young Adults, can we open our eyes? Can we stand to our feet? And can we make some noise? Because heaven just got a little bit more crowded in Lakewood, Colorado this Thursday evening. Jesus, we love you so much. Right now, we just look vertically to you, the author of everything, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. You knew about this night. You ordained this moment before the foundations of the world were even laid. You made every single person in this room on purpose and for a purpose. Nobody is a mistake. Nobody is an accident. Nobody here is here by coincidence. Holy Spirit, you're about to move. And so we just ask you boldly in Jesus' name, would you move like a rushing wind? Would you move through this auditorium, through every heart, through every spirit, through every soul, through every mind? Would you heal people from the inside out as we praise your name, Jesus? Would, would shame evaporate? Would anxieties leave? Would depression bow at your feet? Would suicidal thoughts just... Get out of here in Jesus' name right now. Would fear evaporate before our eyes? Would cancer evaporate in Jesus' name? Disease and sickness be gone in Jesus' name. By his stripes on that cross, the real tree of life, we are healed. And as we praise your name, we simply just receive it. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your beautiful, powerful, wonderful, holy name. Somebody shout, amen. Red Rocks Young Adults, let's worship.